Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Fight Game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Damon Cotton. And yes, I know I said each and every week, but we have a very exciting show today. And there's just so much to talk about. There's always so much to talk about in the world of combat sports. And let's dive right into it. Today, I'm going to give you a a lot. There's a big weekend in boxing, and we're going to be discussing that with Ben Baby from ESPN. He's going to be joining us around 12:25, 12:30, and we're going to be discussing Deontay Wilder as he's making his comeback to the ring and the heavyweight division at large, and everything else that's going on in boxing. You don't want to miss that. Ben Baby, great friend of the show, also covers the Bengals for ESPN and a fellow bow tie bolo tie wearer like myself. So you know, shout out to Ben for that. But I'm not a newsbreaker. I'm not a guy that's in the scoops game, but I have a little news, or I have a kernel of news, something that could be true, something that may be happening in the UFC. UFC 280, that is next week, and we are going to be breaking that down next week. UFC 281, we already know what's going on there, but UFC 282, end of the year, December, there's still no main event announced for UFC 282. And there is why I have my sources. I have been told a few things about what could potentially be the main event for UFC 282. I'm not ready to say definitively or I'm confirming it just yet that this is what's going to be happening at UFC 282, but I have it on strong authority and I believe so myself. Yuri and Glover, that's what's been, that's the fan speculation, Yuri Glover too, that's going to be the main event at 282, that's what makes the most sense. But the UFC, there's also that potential. If it can get done, John Jones and Stipe for the interim UFC Heavyweight Championship at UFC 282. That is the news that I have been told. But, like I said, can't confirm that just yet. The UFC hasn't announced it. Still details to be worked out. But if the UFC had it their way, if all parties agreed to it, the main event at UFC 282 will be John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. But we just don't know yet. But that's exciting for me. Like I said, I'm not in the scoops game, not telling anybody definitively. But as we can just say, now now we know and we, we know and we're hearing it now that it is going to be Yuri Prohashka and Glover Teixeira. But it was almost that slight possibility of John Jones versus Stipe. It's just so exciting about the UFC. You never know until you know until it's already settled. But there you have it, UFC 282. I know the news is already broke, so I'm not, I'm not that good. I'm not that good in the scoops game. I'm still in my infancy stages in the scoops game on trying to break a story. And hey, that's why I'm not, that's why I'm not that guy. I can't be the Ariel Hawani or the Adam Schefter of the MMA world. But UFC 282, Yuri Glover 2, in a fight that was a five-round masterpiece, one of those fights that was just what you didn't know how it was going to end, and then when you finally saw the end of that fight, you were surprised. 
and now you're going to get the rematch at UFC 282 Saturday, December 10th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now let's move on to the WWE because Extreme Rules was this Saturday, and when WWE puts on a great pay-per-view, when they just, I'm not going to say WWE, they haven't been missing of late, but all of the shows in the WWE have been good. I mean, Monday Night Raw this past Monday, Kevin Patrick on the new on the new call with Corey Graves. A very, a very good commentary team. I do like it. Kevin Patrick, he's one of the nicest guys in the world with that Irish accent, and then you pair him alongside with Corey Graves. And it's just, it's a fantastic combo. But taking you back to Saturday at Extreme Rules, you kick off the show with Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan. And for me, this was probably the most underwhelming, the most underwhelming match on the card for me. Excuse me, you had the Donnie Brook match first. But I'm going to start with Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan because... They just didn't lay their stuff in, unlike the first match on the card, the Donnie Brooke match between Imperium and the Brawling Brutes. And for the SmackDown's Women's Championship match, Ronda Rousey comes away with the title. She regains her title, but it's an Extreme Rules match. And the thing about Extreme Rules, and there's no blood on the show, WWE, no more blood and guts. But I just want a little bit more from the WWE when it comes to these Extreme Rules matches. So you have this one match, Ronda Rousey, we know she's the toughest woman on the planet. We've seen it in the UFC. She's been billed as this ass kicker. But Liv Morgan, that's the problem with Liv's championship run. I know the fans wanted her to have that title. But in this entire run, I haven't seen Liv Morgan. She hasn't built up that credibility to me and amongst some of the fans that is it believable that she could beat Ronda Rousey three times in a row? Okay, you have the, the money in the bank cash in. Yes, the spunky underdog finally gets it done. But what after that? After that, you can't just be the underdog that fights from underneath. We have to believe that you're the champion for one reason or another. That you, The bell has to ring. It can't just be we want you to be champion and we're behind you 100%. The bell has to ring. So for me, that match, it really under-delivered because with the extreme rules I expected more and I'm not saying they had to go out there and put on an EC a classic ECW match where you know thumbtacks and everything involved but just wanted a little bit more stiffness out of the workers and then the brawling brutes and imperium I'm just gonna go by match match every match on the card from extreme rules because I really did enjoy the show Ridge Holland, Sheamus, and Pete Dunne. Excuse me, Butch, as he is now called. These guys can fight. When Sheamus says, my name is Sheamus and I love to fight, you see it in these matches here. Because him and Gunther, they have such a great chemistry. Sheamus and Gunther, in this feud that they've been having over the past few months, they haven't had a bad interaction yet. Ludwig Kaiser. I mean, Imperium. These guys... They deliver every time. And a Donnybrook match before going in, I didn't even know what that meant. Is this like an Irish street fight, the U.S. version? Whichever city you're in, a Chicago street fight, a Philly street fight, a New York street fight, what's a Donnybrook match going to be? I still don't know, actually. What does it mean? But I'm just going to call it an Irish street fight, and it was fantastic. 
when you give me six guys that can work in the ring and they just beat the hell out of each other, sign me up every time. Because that's what I like out of wrestling. Just guys working and just going at each other. The action's intense. It varies a little bit from what you're going to get style-wise. Giovanni Vinci. This guy, for me, and I don't mean to, as a, I don't mean this as a knock, he's a shorter Cesaro, where it's just he's the total package on what he can do in the ring. Maybe he's lacking on the promo. But he's the guy. He's listed at 5'10", 5'9". If this guy was 6'3", this guy could be a world champion. Giovanni Vinci. He is the standout in Imperium to me. I know you have Gunther. I know Ludwig Kaiser is the mouthpiece of the group. But Vinci is the guy where, when it comes to pound for pound, may be one of the strongest guys in the WWE. I mean, this match, it's an A for me because of the physicality, because you've got six guys that just go in and do the work and just beat the hell out of each other. And the Brawling Brutes getting the win over Imperium, that is good for them to build up that babyface team. And Imperium, a loss is not going to hurt these guys, especially as Gunther still holds that Intercontinental Championship. And he's still, aside from Roman Reigns, who's not on the show every week, he's still the big bad on SmackDown to me. You don't want to face Gunther one-on-one and have to deal with those chops. So, for me, the Brawling Brutes going over was a good choice. That was the right decision to maybe keep this storyline going even further. The Brawling Brutes, they get their win, but Sheamus and Gunther, they still have their one-on-one rivalry that they have going on on SmackDown. Now we're going to move on to the Drew McIntyre carrying cross strap match. And for me, I wanted a little bit more because I am notably the biggest carrying cross fan there is. Gotta show, gotta support the homies. Love the Vegas guy, Karrion Cross. Drew McIntyre, they put on a good show where this is guys in this strap match where that's always gonna be a little bit wonky because stra- nobody does strap matches anymore. This is a very Mid South Jim Crockett promotions type of a match. How are they gonna do it? But they kick off the match and they're brawling outside of the ring before the bell even rings. You know, Karrion Cross playing the mind games. But a strap match in WWE in 2022, maybe it's just one of those matches that just doesn't work anymore in the confines of the new era of wrestling, if that makes sense. Where a strap match just isn't something that when you suspend your disbelief for these extreme rules matches, for me, a strap match just isn't something that I personally want to see anymore in professional wrestling. Because not that it can't be done well, it's just, for me, a strap match a little bit outdated of the of a stipulation. But Karrion Cross, you know, he's tr- that's it's a good stipulation because he's always attacking Drew McIntyre from the back and they did put on a good hard-hitting match and also the finish Scarlet using the pepper spray. We remember that she messed up a few weeks ago well, just a botch on the fireball. Drew McIntyre didn't get hit with the fireball, no sold it as he should have, and then they had to keep working to finish out the show. But this time, made sure that Drew McIntyre got spayed, got he got sprayed with that pepper spray and he got maced and they made sure that they laid it in. Karen Cross gets the win over Drew McIntyre and Karen Cross needed a big win like this to debut on a WWE pay-per-view. After how awful his first run on the main roster was, it is very important that they establish him as a superstar. 
as someone, as a force to be reckoned with. And I know I'm going to spoil a little bit of the show later on in Extreme Rules, but with Bray Wyatt coming back, I do think that Bray Wyatt should be left on Raw. I'm not saying that there's not, this town isn't big enough for the two of us when it comes to spooky guys, but with Karrion Cross, I think that it's almost close enough with Bray Wyatt when you have two spooky guys that maybe when the bell rings for the WWE fans, there's a little bit left to be desired when it comes to ring work when you have just two guys that are great on the promos and the theatrics of wrestling. I don't need both of those guys on the same show. So if I was the WWE, I would keep Bray Wyatt on Raw and leave SmackDown to Karrion Cross when it comes to just two heels that are going to be, for lack of a better words, the spooky guys, the mind game guys. You don't need both of them on the same show. And since I'm team Karrion Cross. I'd rather see him running and rapping on SmackDown. And then the feud with Drew McIntyre, it can still go from here. We still haven't seen these guys in a regular stipulation match. But with Karrion Cross getting this win in the strap match, when he first debuted, he did call out Roman Reigns. But I don't think he's ready for Roman Reigns just yet. I think he's he and Drew McIntyre stay. He builds up his credibility on the main roster. A couple of more matches under his belt for fans can get to see him. Because in NXT... We all know the Adam Cole promo, you can't lace my boots. And I do think that Karrion Cross can work. And he's just got to prove it on this main roster with more matches. Had one match that was a squash. But working with Drew McIntyre, that is definitely going to get him over with the fan base. As Drew is kind of, not in the no man's land, but just treading water. Because we know he's one of the top baby faces in the company. But he's just going to be treading water. And I think him working this program with Karrion Cross is going to be great for Drew McIntyre. And you get to Bianca Belair and the Raw Women's Championship match as she takes on Bayley. And this match for me, this was an A. This was great. Bianca Belair, she just can't miss. She doesn't miss the EST of WWE. And Bayley, she can't she comes back and it's she hasn't missed a beat. For this latter match, damage control, they come out. You've got EO Sky, Dakota Kai, they come out, they intervene in the match, and Bianca Belair hits a double KOD on both of the tag team champions, hoisting them both in the air for the KOD, EO Sky and Dakota Kai. And she also, with the ladder, and Bailey hits another KOD. Bianca Belair is the ECF WWE, but the strongest that is, she is one of the strongest women's competitors I've ever seen in the WWE. She climbs up the top of the ladder. She retains her Raw Women's Championship. She was even on College Game Day a couple of weeks ago picking the Tennessee Vols as Tennessee was in Knoxville. All, all the things that they said about Sasha Banks where people said, hey, she's going to be the biggest star since The Rock. And we haven't seen Sasha Banks. The Sasha Banks watch her and Naomi. When are they coming back? Will they ever come back? I do not know. But I will say this. Man, Bianca is her. Bianca is it. Bianca is that crossover superstar that the WWE has been looking for. I know there's always the speculation, hey, Roman Reigns, he may go to Hollywood. Who's going to be the next rock in the company? John Cena, who's going to be that next person? And I'm telling you right now, it's Bianca Belair. I don't know maybe about the acting bug. Maybe you can grow into being a better actor. But when it just comes to crossover appeal, mainstream endorsements, the athletic background, It's Bianca. She's got it all. She is the total package in WWE. 
And as for the feud with Bailey, it's going to be hard to see where they go next because of your first match in the feud, also with just like Karrion Cross and Drew McIntyre, the first match was a hardcore stipulation, a ladder match. How, so how do you build up that feud? So if you're just having a regular one-on-one wrestling match for the title, how do you still keep that build up and that animosity once you start it off with such of a strong match being the ladder match? So it's going to be interesting to see how the WWE keeps this feud moving along. The I Quit match between Finn Balor and Edge. I knew Finn was going to win this one. Edge said that there was not going to be anything that the Judgment Day would make him do to say I quit. And you were wondering, I mentioned this to Jared last week, are they going to bring in Beth Phoenix's wife? Are they going to bring in Rey Mysterio? What are they going to do? What's going to be the emotional leverage that the Judgment Day pulls over Edge to make him say I quit? And yes, it was Rhea Ripley hitting Beth Phoenix from behind with an elbow, laying her out, setting her up for the concerto. And Edge says, I quit. He pleads for his wife. He says, I quit. And then I got this little nugget from Stat Guy Greg on the Cheap Heat podcast. Rhea says to Edge, you taught us too well. Edge taught the Judgment Day too well, the group that kicked him out. He taught them too well, and Rhea Ripley goes ahead anyways and hits the concerto on Beth Phoenix. Just mwah, chef's kiss on wrestling storytelling. So I don't know Edge was not on Monday Night Raw, but then you see on Monday Night Raw, the Judgment Day, I love where they're going with this. Now the Judgment Day, they finally get a win on a pay-per-view. They are looking like a big bad group to be reckoned with on Raw. AJ Styles comes out to the ring, addresses Finn Balor, and you think, hey, AJ's seen the light. He knows that the Judgment Day is a force. He's going to join the crew. He embraces with Finn Balor. They hug it out. But no, no, no. He did say that he needed some friends, but he did not mean the Judgment Day as the Good Brothers. Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows, they come out evening the odds. As now, when Survivor Series comes around, or maybe even in Saudi Arabia for Crown Jewel, AJ Styles has some friends to take on the Judgment Day. The Good Brothers, Doc Gallows, Carl Anderson... Not so much as a surprise that they're back in the WWE. I know that Carl Anderson, he had a couple of tweets where, hey, he's never going back to the WWE. They all say they're never going back to the WWE until it's time for the bag to be dropped. And in that tweet that I'm referencing, he said, hey, maybe if I need a second pool. So I guess he needed that second pool money because now the Good Brothers are back in the WWE. And the main event of the evening, Matt Riddle versus Seth frickin' Rollins and the fight pit match with Daniel Cormier as the special guest referee. And I know that DC is one of the baddest men to ever walked the planet. But to see Daniel Cormier and Ariel Hawani, one of his best friends, he mentioned it as well. Hey, don't smile when you go out there. Daniel Cormier, his music hits, he comes out, he's introduced, special guest referee for the match, and he's cheesing like he's at Disneyland. Just happy to be there. But once the match starts, the fight pit... You've got the cage, and Daniel Cormier, he gets serious. But Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle go to war, where this has been a feud where it's been getting so personal, where you've got Seth Rollins saying, hey, that's why your family doesn't want, your, your own family doesn't want to be around you. Hey, 
where are your wife and kids at right now? This is personal stuff that's going beyond the lens of, hey, this is just professional wrestling. Because for me, if I was divorced and my wife had left me, yeah, maybe let's leave that out of the storyline. But Matt Riddle, he let, he let Seth Rollins say all of these things. And you see the animosity that's built up in the storyline. It comes out in this fight pit match where the only stipulation that I didn't like is once they went up above the cage, the fight, the win had to take place on the mat, not on the um, structure above. So for me, what's the point of the structure above of Daniel Cormier? He's like, hey, you got to bring him down. You can't win up there. We saw a couple of high spots performed off the top of the cage. But on the railing that was up top, if, you, if they can't win up there, what's the point of having it there? I do like the fight pitch set up better than a steel cage match. You know, it's, it's more of an intimate setting, and it's not a steel cage match per se. But if, if there's, no, there's no need for escape, why isn't it just in closed surface then? Those are some of the things that's just me picking the nits on the actual structure of the cage of the fight pit. But I still enjoyed this match very much as Matt Riddle got the win during the triangle choke. And that's another part about this fight pit where it's just the realism of MMA, of combat sports, where, yes, it was a very abrupt finish. And you think, hey, I didn't even get to see Seth Rollins tap. But that's how fights work in the UFC. You wiggle, you wiggle, you wiggle, you can't get out of that triangle choke, and eventually the guy's just going to tap. Maybe you don't see it, but the referee sees it, and then that's the fight. It's over. And that's exactly how Extreme Rules ended with Matt Riddle tapping out Seth Rollins. And then we get the long-awaited return of Bray Wyatt. Yes, Bray Wyatt back in the WWE. All the theatrics, all the old incarnations of Bray Wyatt. You see him in the crowd. Spotlight here, spotlight there. And a Brody Lee tribute. And Bray Wyatt, the sound was deafening. You can't even hear what he said to the cameras. These cameras are designed... They're, yeah, they're going to pick up what he says, but you just could not hear it because the Philly crowd was losing their mind. I still, to this day, I don't know what he said to the camera, but I do know that Bray Wyatt is back on Monday Night Raw. They teased him a little bit, and he's going to be on Friday Night SmackDown tomorrow. And speaking of Monday Night Raw, touched on a couple of things here and there, but the main thing from Monday Night Raw that is cooking, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar. For me, it doesn't get any better than this. This is going to be, they're going to be getting the bag in Saudi Arabia. Brock Lesnar comes out, just says Bobby Lashley's name, gives him three F5s, a couple of Germans, puts him in the Kimura lock. And Seth freaking Rollins comes out, has a United States Championship match with Bobby Lashley, easily takes that United States Championship. And that's good because you don't want to see Brock Lesnar chasing the U.S. title. Brock Lesnar doesn't need to chase a title in the, in the WWE anymore, almost at UFC. So Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, that's what I'm most looking forward to in WWE. I'm, this has got me more excited than the bloodline, actually. For me, I know that people have said, hey, we've seen them in the rings. We've seen them in the ring a couple of times against each other now. No, 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 no. For me, one-on-one, Bobby and Brock, it's still one of the best fights that the UFC can put on. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Ben Baby from ESPN. You don't want to miss that as we're going to be talking about professional boxing and what's next for Deontay Wilder. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Iman Cotton. 
And I'm pleased to introduce my next guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben underscore baby. He covers the Bengals. He covers boxing for ESPN. And he's also a fellow bolo tie wearer. So you know he's a friend of mine and a friend of the show. Ben, welcome in. How you doing today? Hey, doing well. You know, now I feel like I missed an opportunity to get a bolo when I was out there for Kenzo Triple G3. I, I definitely need to keep adding to my collection. Oh, yes. Wait, once I started wearing the bolo tie, it was just such a good look. I got more compliments. Even people at work that I probably didn't talk to as much were just wanted to come by and have a conversation with me. I was like, hey, I am loving this look. It's doing wonders for me. It's a good look. It's a classic look, and especially when you're out in the desert, man. I feel like it's impossible not to go with the bolo. It's such a fitting look. Yeah, and I, well, we can talk about bolo ties all day, but I do want to get into the meat of why we got you in today because Deontay Wilder, he is going to be making his return to the boxing ring this Saturday at the Barclays Center as he's taking on Robert Hellenius. So what do you think is going into Deontay Wilder's mind for this upcoming fight? You know, when I spoke to Deontay, you know, I could tell that he definitely seemed at peace with kind of everything that happened in the Fury Trilogy as much as one can. You know, I feel like it's such a hard thing, especially when you're the former heavyweight champion and, and, you know, when you have the career that Deontay did, where, you know, you've beaten everybody you face, and literally there's not one man on the planet who can, who can uh, you know, take one of your right hands up until when Tyson Fury did. You know, I, I asked him mentally if there was anything that really affected him, and it didn't seem like he came off any worse for the wear. Now, granted, you know, we did not get into some of the things that, have came up over the, you know, since the fights, you know, some of the rationalizations for why he lost to Fury. And he didn't really go there, and, and I think that's a healthy sign for him, you know, as he looks into his next phase of his career, you know, starting with this matchup against Hellenius, a fellow guy who has fights on PBC, who I think has been really impressive as well in his mental makeup. I, I think that Deontay knows that, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, he has an, a timeline of when he wants to be done. You know, when he's 40, that's when he wants to retire. And there's a lot of big fights to be made, and I think he wants to make as many as possible and secure as much money as he can before he leaves the sport. Yeah, and you mentioned that he's got to take on Hellenius here and that he wants to finish by the time that he's 40. He's 36 right now. I think he's going to be 37 by the end of this year. So how do you see this fight going, and what could be next for him after Hellenius here? You know, that's going to be the interesting question. I asked him about that, and he said that he wants to fight all the top names. I know that. You know, it's, not e it's easy for everyone to figure out who's who. You know, you've got Anthony Joshua. I think that would make, you know, the most sense on paper for him to fight. I think both of those guys at this stage in their careers, I, I think would be that would be a very good fight for both of them. Uh, you know, but he, I think he would be eager to take on any, any challengers and whoever makes the most money. I think a Wilder-Joshua uh, Wilder matchup, excuse me, would, would, would be very lucrative here and internationally as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think that... You know, talking to Deontay, he is ready to take on these big fights, starting with this matchup against Robert. And, you know, we'll see. You know, Hellenius is an interesting guy. He boxes very well. Obviously, they know each other very well because of their sparring history with Robert being one of the chief, chief sparring partners for that, trilogy, uh, that Fury trilogy. So, you know, I don't think that this is going to be a walk in the park for Deontay by any means. Yes, but I've got to look forward with Deontay because I do see him winning this fight. You mentioned the Anthony Joshua fight and how it still could be a lucrative move for him. How do you see that fight going, or what would be maybe some contract disputes because we always see that in boxing? Who do you think would be the bigger draw going into that fight? That's a good question. I think both guys 
would be eager to make, you know, would make it do a split that makes sense. You know, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of that, but it would on the surface, I think that would be the, the most logical scenario. And we've seen that, you know, there there have been issues, you know, that where we're have it's one of the worst things about boxing is that companies and promoters are unable to make business with each other when it makes sense. Uh, you know, fortunately for PBC in this case, you know, I think that they can be criticized for this in, ma- in many areas. But w- with Deontay specifically, they have shown that if it is going to make financial sense, they will cross the, the side of the street, so to speak. You know, they did that for the Fury trilogy. And, and when it does make sense, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to get this Errol Spence deal done with Bud Crawford because there are no obstacles. But, you know, in terms of what's going on with, with uh, Deontay and Anthony Joshua, I think that for, for Al Heyman and Eddie Hearn to come together and make a deal – it makes too much sense, you know, whether that would be a, you know, you could theoretically do a two-fight deal, one in the States, one in the U.K., feel like both they would do very well. And I, even though both guys have losses, both guys are incredibly marketable, and fans want to see them. And I think that's a good sign for boxers as, as a whole, in that, you know, you can take risks in your career, you know, maybe take a loss and still be lucrative. You don't need to have the Mayweather model of, you know, protecting your O, and that being the only reason why people want to tune in. I think it's... I think that people have realized that worked for Mayweather, but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And there are many ways to have a lasting career in, in the game. Again, we're talking to Ben Baby from ESPN here on the fight game on 1230, the game and the heavyweight division as a whole. As Tyson Fury, he was calling out Anthony Joshua. Looks like that fight's not going to happen. Oleksandr Yusik, what's next for him? Because it looks like he's the odd man out when it comes to the merry-go-round of heavyweight contenders and who's lobbying for a fight. It seems like no one wants to take on Yusik at this moment. So where do you see that top ranking of the heavyweight division? How do you see that shaking out in the next year or two? Yeah, you know, I think it depends. In it really all you know leans on what's going to happen with Tyson Fury because you know Tyson Fury is a guy who uh, you know we can we can argue about who's the champ and whatnot. He's a lineal champ, the WBC champ, and he's still a massive draw. You know, stateside and the in the UK. When you look at the the uh, synergy that they've got with Top Rank and Frank Warren, you know, I, I think that I, I think the pressure is going to be on Tyson Fury to potentially face Alexander Usyk because Usyk right now. He's got three of the four belts, and if Tyson Fury wants to be an undisputed heavyweight champion, he's got to go through Usyk. And Usyk has, has done really well. I thought he was impressive against Joshua both times. And, and he's been a guy who's been willing to take on all challengers, has come up. That's why Usyk is ranked higher uh, in our rankings and in, in virtually everybody's rankings on the pound-for-pound list when you look at what he did at cruiserweight and then to come up and do what he's done in heavyweight. I think that, that there is going to be pressure on Tyson Fury to make that fight. It, it takes on a ton of sense. I think a lot of the reason a lot of people don't want that fight uh, against Usyk is that they may see that as a high-risk, low-reward because of what Usyk brings in financially. But, you know, if you were to put that fight in the U.K., if you were going to put that fight in, in Saudi Arabia, I think that that fight sells really well. And Usyk is, is a guy that people enjoy watching. And, and, you know, boxing, I think, the business of boxing gets a little too convoluted at times. And a lot of times... If, if fight fans get interested, this is the miscalculation that people make. If fight fans are interested in the fight, other people get interested in the fight as well. You go look at Manny Pacquiao. When Manny Pacquiao was coming up, he wasn't necessarily a household name, but when he started getting in big fights, people and boxing fans were excited about it. That crosses over into mainstream sports as well. You know, when, when fight fans are interested in something, it, it shows, okay, this is something that I need to be interested in as well if you're not you know, a fan of boxing. And so I think that 
there would be a lot of intrigue for an Usyk Fury fight, and that would immediately move the needle once that gets made. So I think you know we just need to be. I think people in the business of boxing need to be more aggressive, need to be smarter, and, and do a better job of making these big fights because there's money to be made if they're willing to do business. And to bring it back to Deontay Wilder just one more time, if he were just to finish out his career, maybe he gets the Anthony Joshua fight or he doesn't. From you talking to him, do you think that he's at peace with the way that his career's played out? Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, it sounds like he has accomplished what he wants to accomplish. Uh, he, he still wants to, you know, take on these big names. He, you know, it's interesting. He said that this phase of his career, you know, it's going to be exactly like it was before where he's, wa- he's pursued the big fights. He's wanted to you know, test himself, and, 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 you know, he talked about his greatness a lot, and, and, you know, he had that confidence, that bravado that you want to see in a champion fighter, and so, you know, that's going to continue with him, and so, you know, but if it doesn't happen, I think he is at peace, given everything that's happened. He, he talked a lot about, you know, enjoying his time with his family during this break, you know, enjoying other aspects of life that he's interested in, you know, talking about his business adventures. I think he, did, he said he did a song, I haven't listened to it to know if it's any good or not, but he did it. He seemed to enjoy it, which is good. But, you know, I think Deontay is, is ready for whatever comes next, whether that be the big fight that he's looking for or, or what have you. But I, I think that I, I feel confident that Deontay is going to want to pursue those things, not just look for it, just kind of puff fights to, kind of, to prop him up over these next few years because he knows what the, the numbers are, how the financials are in this game, and he knows that this is the time to maximize his earning revenue uh, before he before he calls it quits. Again, we're talking to Ben Baby from ESPN here on the fight game, and I want to pivot to the lightweight division as Devin Haney's going to be taking on George Cambosis Jr. too. For I mean, for this second fight here around, and this is a contract rematch. I don't think that there's any reason for this rematch. But how do you see this second fight playing out? Yeah, you know, I got to see Devin Haney in the ring a little bit sparring at the top ranked gym when we were in there for Canelo Triple G three, and Devin looks impressive. You know, I, I wonder. You know how this is going to shake out. You know, it, I think it's going to be up to George Cambosis to make this more of an aggressive fight. I think, uh, you know, as you saw, you know, with Jorge Leonardo and the success that he had a little bit, is that if you're able to be aggressive with Devin Haney and basically test his power or lack of it, you know, you may be in a better position to win. And, and George has to be willing to eat a shot and, and maybe get on the inside. You know, you cannot, I, I don't think he's going to be good enough to outbox him. And the issue with Cambosis. Is that as he came up, you know, we saw what he did against Cifuentes Lopez, put him down in the first round. But but George faded towards the end of that fight, and George himself does not have a ton of power. So you know, it's going to take a lot of creativity. It's going to take a lot of heart, and he's going to really just need to bite down and try to get on the inside. And Devin is, I think, there's also pressure on Devin in this fight to look really good and to get a stoppage. You know, we saw that he didn't pose with the ring magazine belt because they don't have him in their pound for pound top ten. A lot of people have questioned, you know, his marketability and viability as a as a prize fighter. You know, he does have those belts, but can he be exciting in the ring? That's something that is remains to be seen. So I, I think that's what's going to be one of the big questions about this Haney Cambosis fight. So you know, I think Haney should be the odds-on favorite. The question is, how is this fight going to play out? I think most people want this on both sides to be be a more entertaining fight, and I think that would bode well, bode well. For uh, for Haney and Cambosis. 
Yeah, you mentioned earlier about Manny Pacquiao and how he wasn't just a big household name, but then once he got those big fights, and I think that may be the same case for Devin Haney because there's talks about Lomachenko, maybe Shakur Stevenson moving up to lightweight. Well, I think there's no doubt in that because he's got to after missing weight. So what do you think is going to be next for Devin Haney, and do you think the names with bigger fighters or more exciting fighters will actually help his career win or lose? Yeah, you know, I, I really like what, what Haney brings to the table here. I think he's really good. I want to see that, that Devin Haney, Vasily Lomachenko fight. You know, and, and luckily, for the, you know, we talked about the politics of boxing earlier. You know, Lomachenko, Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson, all are with top rank. Those are the fights to be made. You know, we know that those guys over there do a good job of matching them up together. And it's, it's one of the reasons, you know, when you look at it, it made sense why Haney came over the top rank. But, you know, I still like Vasily Lomachenko a lot in that division. I know he suffered that loss to Tiafimo Lopez, but... You know, the ring skills are there, and if Lomachenko maybe turns it on a few rounds earlier, then maybe he wins that fight, and we don't have some of the, some of the convoluted, you know, uh, optics of kind of how this looks in the division. But all things considered, Haney, uh, you know, if he has an impressive performance, that fight against Lomachenko, and, you know, if you put that at Madison Square Garden, you put that in Vegas, I think it does numbers. It, it, I think that's a really exciting fight, you know, and there's a lot of fights to be made at the lightweight division whether it be with those three guys, with Tank Davis, with Ryan Garcia, you know, whatever happens, you know, I think there's plenty of good fights to be made. And, and you know, boxing, it should, this should be an exciting, exciting time for fight fans. It's just a matter of the fights being uh, made. Do you think that the um, Garcia-Tank Davis fight, do you think that that's happening? Because I see that they both put out a similar tweet a couple of days ago. Do you think that it's just, it's all huff because I think it is, or do you think that we're going to see those two guys fight? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the big issue is going to be the, the network dispute. You know, can they figure out a resolution to have that on DAZN and Showtime? You know, I don't, those are two entities that not, have not really done a lot of business with each other. And so, you know, Ryan Garcia, he's a prize, one of the last, you know, prized, you know, uh, fighters over at Golden Boy and one of, you know, DAZN's top prospects. Uh, you know, we know what Tank Davis brings to the table for Showtime. You know, both networks are really in a similar spot. You know, I don't know if they're going to want to cede a lot of ground to the other, what makes it really fascinating. But both of those guys want that fight. And, you know, to be quite honest, Hank Davis doesn't have a ton of great wins on his ledger. And, and, you know, with his pending court situation, you know, it would make sense that he would want to face Ryan sooner rather than later, depending on what happens with his pending court cases. All right, Ben, I only got a couple more questions for you. When it comes to Shakur Stevenson, do you think that he should maybe wait out, maybe even wait a year to see who would be the winner of Devin Haney versus Vasily Lomachenko, or do you think that he needs a fight at 135 first before he gets a title shot? You know, I don't, I don't think it'd be a bad idea to stay busy. You know, he, I think that there is a little bit, there's a lot of buzz building around Shakur. You know, we saw that with his last performance, and I think people, you know, I was on the plane you know, flying into Newark, and, and there, were, there were people on, on their phones watching Shakur, uh, which is a very good sign. So I think while he has this opportunity to build that momentum, you know, he should stay active. He should, you know, continue to show people why they should be tuning in to watch him. So that's a very good sign. So, you know, yes, you can wait and see what happens, but I think when you're a guy like Shakur, why not trust your skills, trust that you're going to be able to take a, a stay-busy fight, for lack of a better phrase, and then see what happens you know, with Haney and Lomachenko moving forward. So I, I think Shakur is in a really good spot and can really be a true star in boxing. All right, and I'm going to let you out of here. Final one. You scared? You know, you scared the quarterback of the Bengals. Man, why am I slipping on the name of Joey B? 
right now. Jesus Christ. I'm slipping on the name of the quarterback for the Bengals, but you scared him in the uh, press conference with a cough. Did that? Did anyone give you grief for coughing during the press conference? No, it's funny. This was a couple weeks ago. My buddy texted me last night or yesterday morning and was like, hey, is this you? What happened? And then I was like, wait, what is this going on? And then it went viral. Luckily, the cough didn't go viral. Just a little chest congestion. It was nothing serious. Took a COVID test. was negative. So I was happy for that. The Bengals have not had any players miss games the last couple of weeks. So the <laughs> test was legit, and we haven't had any issues. But now I'm actually about to go in the locker room right now and apologize to Joey for, for doing that to him. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to spook him like that. So. <laughs> well, it is spooky season. Thank you so much for joining me here on the fight game today, Ben. And enjoy covering the Bengals and let everybody else know what you got coming out, whether it be the Bengals or in the boxing world. Yeah, you know, we've got, you know, we're covering that, that Bengals uh, Saints game on Sunday. I'll be in New Orleans, but also be, you know, keeping an eye on that Deontay Wilder, Robert Hellenius pay per view over on Fox. You know, we'll be covering that. And so, you know, if you want to see what I've got to say about that, you know, go on over to ESPN.com where I'll have that whole card covered. Thank you so much, Ben. Appreciate you, Devon. And that was Ben Baby from ESPN. Like I said, a fellow bow tie wearer, so bolo tie wearer, so you know he's a good friend of mine. The Black and Brown Alliance has never been stronger. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show with a little pushing and shoving that's been going on in the world of sports. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game. And welcome back to the fight game on 1230 The Game. And we're going to wrap up the show with a few good minutes. Last week we talked about Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in the face during practice, and that was controversial. Now we're going to talk about some pushing because Devontae Adams, the Raiders' star wide receiver, pushed down a cameraman, and he's now filed a police report. And to join me to talk about it is my good friend, Kevin Crawl. Hey, buddy. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. All right, Kevin. I just asked you, Kevin works in engineering in the building, but anybody knows him. He's been my best friend since college. We you go know, way back, baby, way back, just like my hairline. Like, if this guy gets – if I get married, he's the best man. That's, <laughs> that's I mean, one of them? Yeah, that, that, that's how close we are. That's pretty true, man. Okay. So, <laughs> what it is, Damon? Devontae Adams, he pushes the cameraman. Uh-huh. What were your initial thoughts? Did you think that – if it were you, because I know if it was myself – well, here, here's the thing. Here's all I can say, right, is that well, sometimes I feel like we expect way too much out of our athletes. Because when I saw that, all I thought was, man, this is just this is just raw frustration at the end of a bad loss. See, nobody was happy at the end of that Raiders game. We should have been walked out of there happy, wholesome, healthy. <laughs> and then what happened was <laughs> instead – we took a bit of a whooping, uh-huh. a slight whooping, yep. and Devontae wasn't happy. Now, does that mean that he necessarily has the right to see young cameraman walk down the aisle and just go, no, but at the same time, I don't. I, sometimes I feel like, again, we expect too much out of people. This guy, True. I asked you over the break how old Devontae Adams was. You, you hit me with a surpriser. How old is he? 30. He's been in the industry for some time now. <laughs> yeah. But the, a grown man? He, he should be a grown man. You would think so. But I also got to think, like, what is what has Devontae been doing outside of being a football player? He's a stand-up guy. He's one of, like, the, um, every NFL team they give out an award for, and the, for the Packers organization, it's called the Stand-Up yeah. Guy Award, where the media re- awards another guy. The media says, hey, for this team, 
You are the best guy when it comes to handling the media. You answer all of our questions. You don't turn down interviews. Like, basically, each team they give it, I think, for last year for the Raiders, it was either Darren Waller or Max Crosby, where the, the members of the media, where they just say the local guys, hey, man, this player on the team, he gets it. He really helps us do our job well. He won that award three times for the Packers. So I'm just saying, when it comes to like a guy, like he's a very nice guy when it comes to giving thoughtful answers. We've yeah. seen that in his time for the Raiders. He's going to give you some good answers to chew on. He's not a next question. I'm not doing that guy. His first home game for the Raiders, he spent, I think it was close to half a million dollars on sweets for his family. Just a great guy, you know. So we can't let that moment of frustra- frustration affect how we think about him. But for me, my biggest gripe What's that now? is with the cameraman. You it's oh, with the guy who gets pushed. We are straight victim blaming in here. Now yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. game. Yes. <laughs> what, yes. What's your issue with the cameraman? I'm Demond? victim blaming here. Hit, hit me with it. Because if it was me, uh-huh. I would have been my neck, my back, my neck, and my back. I want 150,000. <laughs> you know, we can settle out of court right now. Yeah. But to file the police report, now you're like smearing this man's name. When they put out the police report, they even have Devontae Adams, like California address, yeah. listed. And I don't know, maybe somebody could like try to, I don't know, you know, try to run up on, like run up on his California address. You never know what people are thinking once an address is made public. Well, I think the 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 important thing to keep in mind there is that you're right. Some people would have just claimed the bag and moved on because this should already been out of the news cycle. Like this is not what Draymond Green did. You see, you see how many shiners that poor kid got after that after that swing. That that kid got his whole face remodeled after that punch. This guy just took a straight tumble. Now, with all that said, you are correct about one thing. We need to start treating our, our camera people and our, and our sound people a little bit better, at least on the field, right? Because I was watching a UNLV game at Allegiant a little bit ago, and some kid tumbled into like the sound guy. He was down for a solid 10 minutes. I, I could see it from across the field. I was there live. I caught it in 4K. Dolby Atmos, digital surround. <laughs> this guy was straight boohooing on the field. He was surrounded on all sides by a medical team. Nobody could help him up. And you know that this guy's getting paid like what two Starbucks cups a day? Yes. So I agree with you one hundred percent. Young man that got pushed, uh, the cameraman at least should have claimed the bag. Yeah, get the bag. But I mean, just following the police report, like I would have been in the neck brace the next day. Like, hey, someone get me in touch with the Raiders. <laughs> I was born with glass bones and paper skin. Yes, man. every day I wake up, <laughs> I would have had my case already. Like. The workplace doesn't respect me anymore. That's My family true. can't look at me the same. My wife left me. Yes. Yeah, it's her, it's only, it hasn't even been a week yet. No, it's, <laughs> it's all happened that fast. Yeah, that fast. She said, I, I can't be with somebody that gets pushed by an NFL, like a star NFL player like I, that. I, I was emasculated on national. I, I'll have to relive it. I turn on SportsCenter. They're showing me getting pushed to the ground. Oh, the horror. Yeah. Well, he gets, he gets his couple seconds of fame. Yeah, a couple seconds of fame. And, Kevin, I know that. I got to let you go. I got to let you get back to work. Yeah, something for, like that. Thank you for joining me on the show. I mean, like I said, guys, I don't know if you know this for real, but like I said, Kevin and I, thick as thieves, man. I mean, just give my life for this man here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Damon. You be good, all right? All right, man. Thank you. And that's going to about do it for us here on The Fight Game today. Thank you to Ben Baby from ESPN for joining me, talking about the world of boxing. I told you earlier to start the show, I'm not the scoops guy. Maybe John Jones, maybe Stipe. Maybe it is not happening at 282. I was a little bit wrong on that, but I did have the backup fight of Glover and Yuri Prohashka. That is going to be happening at UFC 282. This 
has been The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Stay safe and protect yourself at all times, everybody.